Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. We're going to turn to the Word of the Lord today. And this morning, I want to speak on a subject that when I say it, I, I wish it could happen right now. I want to speak to you on this subject. Come see the place. Come see the place. I, I wish you could come to the Calvary Church this morning. That's what I, I wish, that we were able to, to come together. I'd love for you to see the place. It, I think, looks the same. We've made a few little improvements here and there. But that's why we say to people, come see the place. It's a common expression that's used when we have built a new home or we've made an improvement to our house. We finish remodeling something and we say, come see the place. Come see it. We want you to see what we've done. We just finished painting a room. Come see the place. We just got a new TV for quarantine. Come see the place. It's just one of those phrases that we use we find such a solicitation in Scripture. Story tells us about a, a wealthy man. He was friends with the who's who in culture. He was not just wealthy, but he was influential. He was a council member, a senator in the Sanhedrin. The political party of the Jewish culture that had influence, not just in the Jewish circles, but he had influence in Roman government as well. He was a man who had watched and observed for some time, from a distance, of course, the life of one Jesus of Nazareth. At first, I imagine he was probably a skeptic. Skeptical, 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 sorry, just having a problem talking today. Skeptical of the life of this Jesus, a man from Nazareth. The question is asked about people from Nazareth, what good comes from that place anyway? But however hesitant, however uncertain, he kept watching this Jesus. His genuine love for God and wanting to see what he understood as the fulfillment of the kingdom of God caused him to keep observing this great teacher. He heard the rumblings from the other religious leaders, even some of his friends. Everyone had an opinion about Jesus. Most were not flattering. And he, too, shared some of the concerns. But there was something that kept bringing him back to the possibility that this quote-unquote prophet may be more than what his colleagues are piously postulating. There are things about him that are not like the others who made claims to be the Messiah. He seems to work miracles. 
He seems to love everyone genuinely. He seems to go out of his way for the outsiders. Not to mention that his followers are consumed, obsessed, and fanatical about him. His desire, this man's desire to see the kingdom of God started to collide with the one who seemed to speak with authority from heaven, but who was becoming a growing nuisance to the ruling Jewish religious leaders. Not many people who ran with this man who was born and raised in an area known as Arimathea seemed to share his optimism that this guy from Nazareth could be the real thing. There was one Jewish leader named Nicodemus who had a conversation with Jesus privately. Conversation done at night, a conversation that called for Nicodemus to somehow be born again. Nicodemus came from this secretive exchange with a sense of respect and appreciation for Jesus, but chose to keep it under wraps from most of the other ruling members. However, these favorable conversations with the one who some called the Son of God, these favorable conversations were few and far between. They were the exception rather than the rule. Most conversations with Jewish religious leaders switched to a more sinister plot to have Jesus killed. And there, Joseph of Arimathea stood in the midst of these conversations, these polarizing conversations, and he himself kept quiet. He kept his thoughts to himself. And as the Passover neared, Joseph would awaken to hear that Jesus had been arrested. I imagine that he hurried down to the city center to see the commotion. He had an inkling that this was going to happen. He had heard enough that this was a possibility. And so from a distance, he observes the sham trial. And he carefully watches the response of this one Jesus that he was still unsure of. He could not find a flaw with him. Could not find anything wrong. He knew that he seemed to be spotless. He was trying to stay focused on the preparation for Passover, but Joseph doesn't seem to be able to escape the events unfolding in front of him. And just as he suspected and had hoped to avoid, he witnesses the sentencing of Jesus the Nazareth. Sentencing by crucifixion. Joseph, however, is not drawn into the charade of shame. He watches the agony of Jesus' mother from a distance. He watches the followers of Jesus weep in silence. He is acutely aware of the sounds, the smells, 
the uproar. And as the time of that day marches on, the parade of piety and the facade of fairness is replaced by the violent expressions of clanging nails and screams of pain. This harsh Roman punishment was cruel and violent. It was grotesque. It was an insult to the most callous of senses. It was an unnecessary use of force for most criminals. It was a curse to be hung on a tree. To be hung this way was the curse of all curses. Joseph becomes witness to the massacre. His silence in the face of false accusation makes him feel borderline culpable. It's nearing noon. The last two or three hours have been agony to watch. The struggle of those hanging on the cross is intensifying. The time seems to be standing still. Laughter and the life for most in the city moves on. Most passing by on the road with Jesus hanging on the cross don't even look up to view him. Soldiers know it's going to be a long day, so they pass the time with jokes and games, some and most at the expense of the one referred to as the king of the Jews. And out of nowhere, suddenly a thick black cloud seems to be rolling in. The bright high sun becomes blocked by the veil so thick it causes darkness to envelop the entire city and beyond. Joseph tries to peer through the darkness to catch a glimpse of what is happening, but his eyes are met by more darkness. Something seems unexpected and unusual about this blackness. He wonders again if this has to do with this one Jesus, some call the Christ. For three more hours, Joseph waits mesmerized by the moment and paralyzed by the unknown. He wants to stay near the scene. He has things that he could do, but it just doesn't seem right to leave now. It is nearing 3 p.m., but it is still dark. He can hear commotion, some kind of stirring. He can hear what sounds like a weakened voice of this man, Jesus, crying out, it is finished. And then out of nowhere in the weighty darkness, the earth begins to lurch forward and back. Screams in the distant are heard. The earth is cracking under the pressure of the moment. And as fast as it starts, it stops the earth seems to be resting. The clouds start to dissipate and roll back. And the reality of what just happened falls on those who are near. There he hung, still 
The only movement was blood and water that poured from his punctured side. And Joseph knew this was no ordinary crucifixion. Joseph knows what he needs to do. He hurries towards the house of Pilate, the governor, who sentenced Jesus to die. You see, he knew a few people who could give him access to this cowardice leader. And Joseph, too fearful of his own life, secretly and covertly arrives at Pilate's palace. He has to talk to him. And as he gets into the presence of Pilate, he is almost out of breath. He is still remembering and reliving what he has just witnessed. What is his secret request? What is it that he wants to tell Pilate? He asks for permission to take the body of Jesus and bury him in his own new tomb. Pilate seems surprised by the request, but not just by the request of Joseph that he wants to use his own tomb, but he's surprised that Jesus is already dead. How is it that he's died so soon? Normally, it takes much longer for people to die. Had they broken his bones already? But no word gets back. The soldiers confirmed that Pilate, to Pilate, that Jesus had died on his own. The other two criminals had their legs broken that day, but Jesus did not. While the Jews were trying to hurry along so they could prepare and have Passover, Jesus had died innocent, spotless. And so there, Pilate gets word from the soldier that Jesus is truly dead. And so he gives, gives Joseph permission. And as Joseph sees the sun begin to make its descent in the western sky, Joseph and this other religious ruler who hid in the shadows during Jesus' life this man named Nicodemus, go to the cross. And there they take Jesus down. They pull his limp body down off the cross and they themselves bear the weight of this body. And they wrap that body of Jesus in a new linen burial garment that they had and they hurriedly prepared his body and carried him a short distance. They didn't have much time, but they carried it to this man, Joseph's new tomb. This wealthy man who had crafted a tomb for his life saw the possibility to put this one whom he admired from a distance to now be in close proximity to him and actually carry him to his own tomb. That tomb, that ultimate symbol of death, that place of finality. You see, tombs 
are the containers of the body. Joseph trying to respect and honor this one who he knew was different. This one he knew was innocent. He wanted to respect him and honor him. So he carried him to his own tomb. Tombs spoke not just of containing the body, but it spoke of the end of the matter. It was said, now it is done. You've lived your life and it is over. We want to remember you, so we're going to put you in a tomb. And everything that you will ever do in life has been done. And now we're going to put you in a place that holds your body. Joseph had these thoughts about his own life because he had crafted and he had built a tomb for himself. He wanted to be remembered. He wanted to be respected. He wanted a place that he could lay for the final time and be remembered for his life. And so he had crafted a tomb. It was honorable for Joseph to offer this same experience for Jesus. It was a point of honor. It was almost a desire to make Jesus literally a part of his family. And this tomb is described in all four Gospels. And this man, Joseph, is described in all four Gospels. While Joseph sought to provide the tomb as a place to contain the body of Jesus... And to provide him with a final resting place. What we understand today is Jesus had other plans for the tomb. The tomb that Jesus was laid in while Joseph had a plan for it. Jesus realized this was actually not a place of containment. And this would not be his final resting place. For Jesus... This tomb was the great exchange. You see, Joseph thought he was providing the dwelling place or the container for the body of Christ. He thought he was providing the final resting place for the body of Christ. But I submit today that he was actually providing the dressing room. Jesus took the robe of death with all that humanity wears it with. And he said, I need to change clothes. And so put me in that tomb. And thanks to the tomb who you thought would contain me. And thanks for the tomb you thought would memorialize me. And thank you for the linen that you wrapped around me and the cloth that covered my face. But actually, I only needed the place for three days. Just a small little business trip for a brief period of time. In this place, this tomb was not a container, but I submit today it was a launching point. This place was not the final resting point, but I submit it was the starting point for his spirit to be experienced by millions around the world. This is the place 
the tomb is the place of the most important story in all of scripture. Paul would tell us this fact. He said, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and our faith is empty. Our preaching is empty and our faith is also empty. You can pack it up. You can go home. There's no point in living this Christian life. But Jesus said, I'm going to make this tomb that was meant to be a place of death and a final resting point to actually be the starting point. So when the women came to the tomb early in the morning, they expected to provide some spices for the tomb to try and help Jesus' dead body last as long as it could in the tomb. But an angel met them and said, I need to inform you, he is not here, for he is Risen, as he said. But I love this fact that the angel doesn't just say it and say, go away. But the angel actually says, wait, come see the place. Come see the place. See what Christ has done to the place. He's kind of fixed it up. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And when they walked into that tomb, what they saw were clothes. They saw burial clothes. They saw clothes that spoke of Christ's death, that he really did suffer, that he really did die, that he really was buried in this place. He was really in this tomb that was made for a sinful man, but it was used for a spotless lamb. And those clothes laying in that tomb spoke that he was buried there. But what he wanted them to see was not just that he was buried there, but he was risen, that he was no longer there. The tomb couldn't contain him. This tomb couldn't bind him. The tomb couldn't restrain him and constrain him. He is not here for he is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And I believe this is a picture of our lives. And I would submit today that our hearts and minds are simply tombs. Who can escape the words of Jesus when he said in Matthew 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. This is the picture of man. You see, it was customary for the Jews at the time to whitewash the tombs of the city of Jerusalem before Passover so that no one would touch one of them accidentally. They would be able to see clearly that this was a tomb. They didn't want to be unceremonially unclean. And Jesus told these religious leaders that you're like whitewashed tombs, pretty on the outside but dead on the inside. And that's our lives today. I find it interesting that Jesus was not buried in the tomb of a poor man. 
nor was he buried in the tomb of an outsider that he had reached for so many times in his ministry. But Jesus is buried in the very tomb he had castigated the rich religious rulers for being. He is the beautiful uh, picture of what it means to look at a whitewashed tomb and say, I can make it something else. Before he was ever buried in Joseph's tomb, he had overcome the demoniac of the Gadarenes who had been living in tombs. He had already overcome the heart of the outsider and the rejected and the demon possessed. But when he showed up in Joseph's tomb, he made it clear there is no tomb that I can't overcome. There's no place that you can drop me. He called those religious leaders. He said, you are hypocrites. And Jesus dropped into the very place of the hypocrite. And I would submit he is not afraid of any heart that hears me today. He will dwell in the heart of the heathen and he will dwell in the heart of the hypocrite. And Joseph, a religious ruler, lets him reside in a brand new tomb, freshly carved out and washed for Passover. Jesus said, put me anywhere. Put me anywhere because I can change it. Come see the place. Come see the place that was full of Dead men's bones. Come see the place. That's why Paul said in Ephesians, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of our mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great... with with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you are saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus See, he offers us that great exchange. He said, if you'll let me show up in your tomb, if you'll let me show up in the tomb that you've crafted, see, anything we produce is dead. Let me show up. I'll say to you, come see the place because I can change it. So how does Christ do this? I would submit that he has to be buried in our life. He has to be able to be buried and take what was meant to be a place of containment and bondage and lifelessness and hopelessness, place of dead things, place in our hearts where we've reached the dead end of life. He wants to exchange it and he wants to show up in it and bring a freedom, a hope and a purpose and resurrection. So I appeal to you today to be like Joseph. I don't know how you got there. Seemed like Joseph just wrestled to get there, but he finally did it. He opened his life to Jesus Christ.
And he let Christ be buried where he should have been buried. See, Paul said, therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, We're slaves of death, contained by death. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives To God. Then Paul says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, when we open our hearts to the death and burial of Christ, He promises to allow us to walk in newness of life. The Spirit of God that we can experience today is possible and only possible because of a resurrected Savior. So today I wonder if you would open the tomb of your heart, you would open the place where dead things live, dead things that are there and they are works of the flesh, our hearts are full of all kinds of things. But I wonder if you'd open it up to a Savior and be buried with Him. To die with Him and to be buried with Him. To experience that gospel message. The message of His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And here's what I believe today. That if you'll allow your heart to be open to a Savior, when He walks into your heart, as dead as it may be, as defiled as it may be, as hypocritical as it may be, as, as dark and as just opposed to God as it may be, if you will let the Savior walk into your heart, I guarantee you he changes the place. What was once meant for evil and what was once something that brought shame and brought hopelessness. Now your life suddenly becomes something of purpose and God's spirit breathes life into you. And so that when people see you When you invite them to look at your heart, when you speak words out of your mouth, they're not seeing the dead things in your life. They actually look in the tomb of your life and they're, what is this? Because I see hope in here. I see love in here. I see mercy in here and grace in here. Oh, hallelujah. 
come see the place. That's what Christ wants to say about all of our lives. None of our lives are so hopeless that he can't change them. He can't speak life to them. So today, I ask you this question. What lays in your heart this morning? Are they clothes that you wear? Is it decisions you've made? Is it the past that you've experienced and gone through? Or would you allow some burial clothes from a Savior with nailed stars, guard hands, pierced side, crown of thorns? Would you allow those burial clothes to be laid in your heart today? Would you allow the life-giving spirit to raise you from a state of sin and deadness to a state of life and freedom in him? If you have not repented of your sins, if you have not turned your heart from the ways of sin, I, I think of it as just opening the tomb, making a way for Christ to dwell in you, If you have not done that, I encourage you to pray a prayer of repentance today. In just a moment, I'm going to lead you in that prayer. If you have not been buried with him in baptism, if you have not put on Christ like a garment, Paul would tell us to put on Christ when we are buried with him, when we are baptized, we put on Christ. If you have not been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I implore you, as urgently as I can, be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us know. We will baptize you whenever you want. And if you're in your house today, you're in your car, you're traveling somewhere, and you have yet to experience resurrection power, the power of God's Spirit to change your mind from a mind that's dead in flesh and carnality to a a mind that's Alive in Christ, you can experience the wonder of the Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in other tongues, you can have that experience. And maybe you haven't spoken tongues in a, in a little while. I encourage you today in your room, in your house, wherever you're watching this, to lift your hands and let that life-giving Spirit breathe one more time into your life. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just meant to be a story we celebrate once a year but it is the reality that we are supposed to live every day of our life we live repentance we live baptism we live having been filled with the spirit that's how we breathe in Christ So I want to pray for you today. We're going to pray a prayer of repentance. And I encourage you to cry out to God. God, in this moment, I'm praying, God, for hearts. Hearts, God, who maybe, God, are hungry for you like Joseph. They they sense something about this whole Christianity thing. They sense something, God, about this whole idea of being born again of water and spirit. There's something about the kingdom of God that is attractive to them, but they've yet to surrender to you. I pray in this moment, Lord, they would carry you. 
to their tomb. They would carry you, God, as an act of repentance to say, God, I surrender my heart to you. I die out to my carnality and my flesh and my decisions in my past. Lord, I need you to dwell in my life. I need you to dwell in my life. I pray, God, for those who have yet to be baptized by water in the name of Jesus. I pray there would be a decision made, God, this week to be buried in your name. I pray that you would fill lives with the Holy Spirit today, that someone would acknowledge you and just surrender in their moment right now in their home. They would begin to praise you with their whole heart, Lord, and they would experience the wonder of your spirit right where they're at. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about The Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.